Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Decades after covering up his classmate's murder, Michael has moved on from his reservation and fractured past when a man who shares his violent secret seeks vengeance. Michael goes to great lengths to protect his new life with his wife and boss from the demons of his past. The film is called Wild Indian, and we're joined today by the writer and director of the film. That would be Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr. It's a skeletal kind of outline of the film that I just read. Because there's so much more in this film. Uh, it is about the interactions between the characters. It's about the ambiance of the world from which Michael comes from that really tells the story. Tell me a little bit about, Lyle, tell me a little bit about what inspired this film. Uh, yeah, I, I was living away from home for the first time in, in California, and I was kind of imagining someone who got so caught up in their new life that they were would reject their their old one anyone that kind of came from their old life just be be like you know the, the past coming to just invade their space in a way and uh initially there was there was no murder it was really just about it was kind of inspired by like me thinking about like what if my one of my cousins who were in and out of prison came and visited me out and in, in berkeley where you know i was kind of you know, living a different life than I had been. The first draft was just about mid twenties guys, just kind of like, it, it was almost like a comedy, you know? And um, the, the more I, I rewrote it, wrote it, and the more I kind of thought about it, I realized it was kind of about somebody really running away from themselves. And I really wanted to up the stakes. I wanted older characters. I really wanted their pain to be old and hardened. And, um, you know, the, the murder was, uh, you know, the murder kind of, came from that that need to kind of up the stakes and to make it into something that felt like it was really traumatic and awful and it just over the next 20 drafts or so it kind of solidified into this thing about trauma and historical historical trauma you're native american mm -hmm. right yes what tribe um i'm ojibwe um i'm from uh, i'm a tribal member of the Bad River tribe in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's okay. And that is ref referred to at the very beginning of the film. There's a something that is written about, kind of about Michael or uh, Magua's. It's it's a reference to him. Is it not? Or is it just sort of? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's supposed to be, I suppose, like an allegory connecting the two, the historical story and the main story that we have in the film. So... The character of uh, Magua is based, is it a composite? It's just out of your imagination that you were just saying sort of, a, it sounds like it's. Um, yeah, completely out of my imagination. You know, it, a lot of details about people and, and prints of people in my family, you know, come out of that. Like my, my dad is a successful person and uh, kind of left the reservation for a bit. Now we live, now he, he, we we live on in Bad River, and it was just kind of like that. All, all of the feelings that I, I I saw people going through, and I know I know Muck was I know, not Muck was in the sense like I know, you know people dealing with what he's specifically dealing with, but 
and I know, and I know Tedos, you know, the way that Tedo looks is inspired by the way that my, my cousin looks, you know, very similar tattoos on his face. And I was always just like all those colors kind of just came together. And I really wanted to put all these things, these little details from my life growing up around there to, to, to a film. Well, Tedo is his best friend, Magua's best friend. And the story starts out with him as a very young boy. I'm going to guess right around eight or nine years old, maybe 10, somewhere in that general area. And there is this bedrock of abuse going on in his in his life, in his family's life, as has often been talked about, the kind of the, the lack of opportunity, the lack of educational opportunities on the reservations across this country has fostered a very difficult environment to grow up in and to to move on in, in not necessarily off the reservation, but just to get the things that every person should be entitled to have. But the violence seems to be something that's, I don't know if it's a constant, and I, I'm, I'm struggling here. I want to make sure I'm framing this correctly. But these issues that are dealt with in the film are familiar. Is that you a... Know, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's familiar to me. I don't think it's necessarily familiar to everybody who comes from communities like mine. Okay. So, so you know, it's like I said, it was a very personal, personal film. So let's go back to, to the kind of the, the storyline. So Magua has moved on from a, from an incident that occurred when he was a young boy and he's found a new life. He's made a new life for himself and he's become fairly successful at it. Uh, he seems to be doing well. I'm not quite sure what job exactly his job is, but he's doing well in it. He has a wife. And by the way, you have a great cast. You have Jesse Eisenberg. And you have Kate Bosworth, his wife in this. And he is he is in many ways moved on. But in another in other ways, he hasn't emotionally, psychologically. There are some things that are going on. And Teto, who you mentioned earlier, is the person who was with him when this violent incident took place as a young boy. And who's been in prison, as you said, and moved on. And it's it's this worlds you can see over the course of the film, these worlds beginning to move towards one another. And there's there's a sense that things are going to impending sense of clashing, if you will. Yeah, of course. Building those two characters, building them up, as you mentioned, there's there's some references in your life to Teto, uh, and you mentioned um Michael Magua. Uh, in terms of building those characters, building that sort of uh, that tension. What was your intention in terms of how you were, how you went about it? Um, you know, I, I never really had an intention. It wasn't meant to be a statement about anything, despite you know the the maybe the grandiose ambition that it seems to to kind of hold. It it was just really meant to be kind of this tonal, personal thing where I just explore question questions that I had about my own you know my own life and and yeah. where I was coming from and the things that I, I maybe saw family go through and um in my life and uh that that was all you know it was meant to be and I think trying to contextualize it from things that I heard through you know through Ojibwe and Anishinaabe oral history to kind of maybe figure out an, an allegorical way to kind of to, to draw a parallel within that story that I'm trying that is kind of telling or that I was telling in the film but it was it was never meant to be a statement it was just uh meant to be like this 
this this tonal tonal meditation on on you know two two characters who kind of come from the same background but had different outlooks and what maybe they deserved yeah I want to remind our listeners that we are talking with Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr., and he is the director and writer of the film Wild Indian, and it is out. You should be looking for this. It's being released through Vertical Entertainment. And is there a, a VOD release date, or is it? Oh, yeah, v- VOD and theatrical on the same. In the same day. You really should see this in a theater. I'm, I'm just, I'm really encouraging people to get out for a lot of reasons to get out is a good idea. Do it safely, obviously, mm-hmm. but this, it, it's a beautiful look to the film. And I do want to talk about kind of the production part of this because it, it has a, a, there's a pace to it. There's a look to it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that part of it, the cinematography in this. Um, what was that sort of, it's fairly muted in the look, but it, there's a lot going on. Oh, totally. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's really nice to hear. Uh, yeah, you know, Eli uh, Bourne, my cinematographer on the film, you know, we talked a lot about color and the way to approach movement. And, you know, we, we were just on the same page with a lot of how to approach telling a story. And and it, the the way that we approach dynamic camera movement and uh, framing the, the lensing, we all like always seem to align on, on, on the language of not only this film, but kind of like the, our tastes in general. So when we we got on the ground to make this one, we only had 17 days, and we had very short, like a very short prep time, like like two weeks. Um, and we were shooting in place, often shooting more than half the time, going to locations that we hadn't even been before, and then having like no time to kind of set up and to figure out how to not only stage these scenes within those spaces, but to kind of carry out just the the technical piece of, of just figuring out how to wrangle these these spaces that we hadn't done before. So it really came down to shorthand. Like we, we both had the same idea going into it about how the film should look and how the story should be told. And once we got on the ground, it, it got to be, we were moving so fast that not a ton of talking. I would just move to like where I thought a shot should be. And we'd, he would, I would just kind of like point and be like right here. And he'd be like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and then and then we'd set up the shot and then move, you know do two takes move on to the next one it, you know he he's such an incredible cinematographer and such a great listener i just want to yeah. reiterate his eli born is his name we're yeah, listening yeah. so at, at, uh, to the to because a lot of people is really zero in on cinematography and it's so the importance of the mm-hmm. film certainly obviously the look of it but well what just one quick thing about all that and that is there's a lot of sm- cramped spaces inside a house inside of a just small areas and and then you have this other sort of blend of the of this expansive part of the of the film where the on the reservation and people uh, moving around in those spaces but it's a nice blend you're and i assume that's you and the editor working together but you get this kind of there's a good back and forth between those two sort of very different looks in the film yeah totally and you know and there are certain scenes where we wanted the wides to be very wide and then the cut-ins to the to the close-ups to be not jarring, but to make it like, okay, we're seeing the macro and then we're really seeing the, you know, the emotions of the characters. Exactly. Um, they really hone in on that sort of the interior. Once you get close, you can see the interior kind of uh, machinations of these different characters. 
yeah yeah and we you know when we were because we had very little time very little money we were shooting in a place that didn't look like i had intended to you know i'm from wisconsin and minnesota and we were shooting in oklahoma so it didn't look at all like you know we had intended it for it to look due to a financial reason we needed to shoot we needed to shoot in oklahoma so when we were on the ground in prep i realized like you know i wasn't going to be able to kind of put that personal touch on on the and the kind of the natural pieces in the setting that I had intended early on. So I was like, I was talking with Eli, born the cinematographer, and Jonathan um, Guggenheim, the production designer. And I was like, I think most of the film we need to figure out needs to take place, you know, from the middle of the chest to the top of the head. We need to figure out how to stage stage it and place these characters in, in a distinct world while also kind of keeping the film in that space. We, we work really hard to kind of try to make that work. And I, I think, you know, Eli is such a great cinematographer. By the way, he just, he's, he's in Serbia right now shooting the new Hellraiser film, which I'm really, I was really excited that he got off of the film. I got off Wild Indian. I, I can't say more nice things about Eli. He's one of my um, closest friends. And That's great news. And also the, you have great sound design in the film. Again, you're talking 17 days, not a huge budget, but on all on that relatively small budget and, and very tight uh, schedule, you're able to get a lot out of it. And uh, the other part, well, again, the sound design looks, it just, it really works well to set the tone, set the mood of it. And uh, my congratulations on your sound on this as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before I let you go, uh, we also have some big, you have Scott Hayes who uh, I don't see enough of. I think he's a terrific actor. I'm glad to see him. And also Kate Bosworth and Jesse Eisenberg are in the film. Is this something that came? I'm just kind of curious how all of that came about because that's, those are two pretty or three pretty good gets for the, for the film. Yeah, we were, we were having, you know, just given the nature of the film, having a hard time putting together the financing. We had most of it. We were having a hard time trying to get, greenlit and then jesse read the script and really wanted to be a part of it and help us kind of make it so he essentially lent his star power to to get us over the the edge and, and get it made and jesse's great i really like what he's done with his career i think his choices have been been excellent and then also michael gray eyes really everything rests on his performance to carry out what you i'm sure what you intended talk, talk a little bit about michael and his his role Michael is outstanding. You know, he, he, I've been a fan of his for years and he always exuded this confidence and this power. And I, I knew that as soon as I started envisioning him in this role, that it couldn't be anybody but him. So, yeah. you know, we, we had talked at length um, before, you know, we, we set out to make it about what the character should be and, or what the character is and, and to kind of, define the story through through his presence yeah. so he's he's ultimately the the backbone of the film we just connected on it and it was you know michael's michael's great you know it's a just to say something about the role in the character he never really well, i don't want to give too much away so if my character so if my characterization of him does let me know but he never really warms up he's warm enough to get what he wants in the film and his, what his character wants, but he, it's a, that's a very difficult thing for him as an actor in some ways to not be more likable. And also for a director, especially you're relatively 
new director in terms of feature length films. And this is this is a character that just doesn't really bend too much towards what some audiences might be looking for. Is that again, if it sounds like I'm being a little harsh, but I but I think it's a, a brave and brave move, a brave character. And I think it just comes off the wigs, I assume the way you want it. Right. Yeah, he's a character that's so caught up in his own his own pain and his own problems that bending or empathizing. Although he, he, I would not characterize him as a sociopath at all. He's more of a like a narcissist, right? He just has a really hard time seeing things from other people's perspective, and it was you know an emotional armor that he put on himself over his years of of trying to figure out or trying to contextualize or just understand the kind of trauma and the abuse that he went through as a child. So, you know, by the time we see him as Michael, he's already that he's got those machinations of like only, only interpreting and caring about his own pain, essentially. And that's, that's really what I wanted the character to embody. And he barely even lets himself feel his own, own pain because that, that's another whole you know issue of, of pushing down the that expression or that he, he yeah he's just got all that emotional armor that he, he needed to put on himself to get through life it's a remarkable performance he does a great job mm-hmm. on michael gray eyes uh and uh and the whole cast everybody in it is great uh, the his uh, teddy Ted, teddo's sister as well uh, all everyone is is wonderful and uh, my congratulations to you. Uh, I, I just heard New York Times uh, critics pick for uh, for this week for a film to go see, and uh, it did. It got a lot of attention at, at Sundance. And uh, my congratulations! To, I look forward to um, a long and storied career for you, and and uh, I uh, hope you'll come back and uh, join us again. I really appreciate uh, it. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike, and thank you for taking the time. Yeah. The film, again, is called Wild Indian, and we've been talking with a writer, director, and that would be Lyle Mitchell Corvine, Jr. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.